Well, this morning, once a year, we do something a little different on one particular weekend, normally the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall, and that's for us to focus in on an ordinance that we hold very dear to us, baptism. Two ordinances given to the church by Christ our Lord, one being Lord's Supper, the other being baptism. You know what I found when it comes to this ordinance of baptism, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of beliefs about how it should be done and when it should be done. A lot of people have different experience, born and raised in different traditions. But for us as believers in Jesus Christ, the question must always be, what does God say about the matter? The issue must always be, what is the plain teaching of Scripture when it comes to baptism? And quite honestly, going back over this and studying again this week, I believe more than ever that God's Word is plain when it comes to the ordinance of baptism. So what we're going to do briefly is look at God's Word. You better have your Bible ready or a pen in hand. We're going to move through several passages very quickly. You can jot these verses down. I always encourage you, don't take my word for it. Look to God's Word. So if you don't have time, write, write those verses down and discover it for yourself. Many of the passage, passages will be on the screen this morning. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, we need you today. We are desperately dependent upon you for everything. Even the air we breathe right now is only by your grace. But God, this morning as we open your word and we look at this ordinance that you have given to us, known to us as baptism, God, I pray that you would bring clarity and God, I pray in many places and in many ways you would bring conviction. I pray that you would work in the midst of all of our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, we love you. We need you today. Please move in our hearts by means of God's holy word to transform us and draw us into the center of your very will for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, the passage will be on the screen, we see that Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus himself was baptized. You'll remember John the Baptist is baptizing and Christ comes to him. And John the Baptist kind of argues with Jesus saying, uh, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to baptize me. I'm not worthy. And Jesus doesn't really argue with him. In effect, Jesus is saying, you're right, John. I need to be baptizing you. And you're not worthy. But you'll notice there in verse 15, what does he say? But permit it for now. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now let's just be honest this morning. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. He is God. But what Jesus is saying is this. I'm going to do it because it's right in the sight of God. Jesus is perfect in every way. He lives in perfect fulfillment to the law of God. He's in perfect fulfillment with the righteousness of God. And Christ himself 
humbles himself, identifies with those for whom he came to save. He even foreshadows in his own baptism his coming death and resurrection. But in obedience to God, he gets baptized. And he says, this is right in the sight of God. And God responds from heaven. You'll see that there, verse 17. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Boy, what a powerful example. Christ himself baptized. This is right in the sight of God. Then we see that not only is Christ himself baptized, but Christ commissions the disciples to baptize. We find it, you'll see on the screen, in John chapter 3. In John 3, it says, After these things, Jesus and his, and his disciples came in the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And in John 4, 2, it gives further clarification, saying, Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. And then we know Christ, after the resurrection and prior to the ascension, gives the great commission to the disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He commissions them to make disciples and baptize them. And what do we find in Acts chapter 2? On the day of Pentecost, Peter and the disciples, you know what they're doing? They're following through on the commission that Christ gave them. And there with all these people gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the gospel, the kerygma. It's the gospel message. It's the message that Jesus is God. And he lived and he died on the cross for our sins. And God, in recognition that he is God and he is perfect, God raised him up for his glory in his resurrection. And he is the only means of salvation. And he looks at that large crowd that's gathered on that day and Peter says to them, you're guilty. And you know what it says in Acts chapter 2, 37? It says that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them in verse 38, he tells them what to do. He says to them very plainly, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very clear instruction. There's the proclamation of the word. Their hearts open to the gospel, and they are told to repent and believe, and then do what? Be baptized. And what we see throughout Scripture is that what occurs here is a pattern. A pattern that is seen throughout the New Testament very clearly. In Acts chapter 8, you remember the Ethiopian eunuch, a God-fearing man, riding in his chariot, reading from the scroll of Isaiah 53. And there he reads this passage. He doesn't know who it's about. And miraculously, Philip there joins him. And Philip takes Isaiah 53, and he does what? He preaches Jesus. The Ethiopian's eyes are opened, and he comes upon a body of water, and that Ethiopian eunuch says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Do you know what Philip says is the one prerequisite to baptism? Belief in Jesus. That's the prerequisite. And the eunuch responds and says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, and Philip baptized. That's the pattern. Belief in Jesus, followed by 
baptism. In Acts chapter 9, Saul's conversion. You remember Saul, Damascus Road experience, has an encounter with Christ. His eyes are, are, are blinded by the glory of Jesus in that encounter. But you remember Ananias goes to Saul, and what does he do? He preaches Jesus. He clarifies the gospel message. And Saul trusts completely in Christ. And then guess what he does? He gets baptized. We could go on into Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. You remember Peter goes to Cornelius and his household, and he preaches Jesus. And in that chapter, having seen evidence of faith, Peter baptizes them. We could go to Acts 16 in Philippi when uh, Paul goes down to the riverbed and he preaches Jesus and there's a woman by the name of Lydia there and God opens her eyes and her heart to the gospel message and she believes in Christ and guess what she does? She gets baptized. We could look at the Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They're singing praises to God. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake and the doors fly open and the jailer's there and he knows they're all going to escape and they'll hold him accountable and he'll be killed. And so he decides to just end his life. And Paul says to him, don't, don't, don't harm yourself. We're right here. We're not going anywhere. And he's so moved by their testimony that he says to them, what shall I do to be saved? And you know what Paul says to him? Believe in Jesus. And he does. And then guess what happens? He gets baptized. We could go on and on. Folks, listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a radical turning from sin and turning to Christ as the only means of salvation. And that is demonstrated spiritually by repentance and faith. That we repent of our sins and we turn towards Christ. But it is symbolically demonstrated in the ordinance of baptism. And in the New Testament... Faith in Jesus Christ and repentance and baptism always go together. You never find one without the other. There's the preaching of the gospel, there's faith and repentance, and then there's baptism. So let's just be clear this morning. What is baptism? Well, very clearly we've seen this. It's a personal command from Christ. Christ commands that all those who have believed in him be baptized. The Great Commission is very simple. Make disciples, very first thing, very first thing, baptize them. Baptism is a demonstration of our obedience to Christ. It's a demonstration of our submission to Christ as Lord of our life. You know the one exception that's always brought up to me whenever this comes up. Well, what about the thief on the cross? And the idea being that the thief on the cross, he didn't get baptized Obviously, he went to heaven because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and so the thought goes that if, if he got saved and, and he wasn't baptized, then baptism must not be necessary. Listen to me. Let's be very clear this morning. The thief on the cross didn't get baptized, not because he was unwilling, not because he was disobedient, not because baptism is not essential. He didn't get baptized because he couldn't get baptized. It's really hard to get baptized when you're nailed to a cross. So if you're nailed to a cross, you got an out, okay? But the model of Scripture is that a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, and they get baptized. Now let's be clear. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. But the model of Scripture is that a person gives their life to Christ, and then they're baptized. It's a, it's a personal command. It's also a public confession. A personal command, a public confession. 
first command in the work of discipleship. Make disciples. That's the command. How? Baptize them. I mean, think about this. Jesus is strategic with every word. He could have put a lot of things there as the first command. But he says the first thing is baptism. And the question has always been, why is this so significant? And I think for, for us to, understand, to really answer that question, we have to understand something of the first century and the early church. You know, in the first century, you, you were not baptized in a, in a closed-door church. No, you were baptized at a lo- local watering hole or a, a river, a pool, a city square. You were baptized in public view. If you were a student, it would be like getting baptized at the front steps of your school. It would be like getting baptized in front of your workplace as everybody enters the building. You were baptized in public. And remember, faith in Christ was not popular back then. You were putting a lot on the line. You could lose your job, your friends, your family. You could lose your life. Many Christians were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. So listen, to publicly confess him in full view of everyone to see is extremely dangerous. So why did Jesus say the very first thing I want you to do is baptize them? Do you know what I think Jesus wanted to know? He wanted to know on the very outset, are you serious about following me? Are you willing to go public in identification with me? Jesus made it clear. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I'll confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me before men, I'll also deny him before my Father in heaven. It's a public confession. Many people will ask, what are you confessing? Well, first of all, you're confessing that Christ is Lord of your life. It's like putting a a big sign over your life that says, under new management. That you're not in control anymore. You're saying, Christ is Lord. He's running my life. Not only that, but it's confessing your death to sin and new life in Christ. In baptism, you're demonstrating your union with Christ. We unite with Christ. A vine to a branch. Paul says it this way in Romans 6.33. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised through the glory of God the Father. So we too might walk in newness of life. In so many ways that baptismal pool is a grave. It's a tomb. That's why we we feel so strongly about baptism by immersion. Because baptism by immersion most clearly portrays the reality of the gospel. Whenever we baptize somebody, you know what we're doing? We're preaching Jesus. We're preaching the gospel that through faith in Christ, you don't just get cleansed. You died. And you were raised. Christ died. That's what we're preaching. That Christ died in my place. And now I die. And spiritually I lay down my life. So that in him I might become a new creation. He died. I die. He was raised. I am raised. And this leads us to our third and final point. Listen. It should be done post conversion. We've already talked about this. In scripture the pattern is faith in Christ. Baptism. Since baptism is an expression of what has already occurred in our heart through faith, it can only be experienced by believers. Said another way, if baptism is an expression of a faith that you already have, then baptism is not something that a non-believer can do. 
It's not something that an infant can do. Throughout the New Testament, we do not see one baptism of a person who has not already placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I want to be very clear here. This is the teaching of Scripture. I want to be very clear, though, this morning. The idea of you being saved as an infant through the faith of another person, your parent, is not biblical. God doesn't have any spiritual grandchildren. Your parents can't save you. One day you're going to stand before God and you can't say, yeah, but my parents believed. It won't wash. It's about what you did with Christ. And some of you, you may have walked an aisle as a child and, and you had no clue what you were In fact, quite honestly, you don't even remember it. You made no real commitment to Christ. There was no real change. But you got baptized. You got dunked in a pool. But it had no real significance because you had no real faith. Let me be clear this morning as well. God is not impressed with wet sinners. There is nothing supernatural about that water. It's not magical water. Folks, it is what has occurred in your heart that matters most. It's your faith in Jesus Christ that, that, that makes that water significant. And maybe you went on about your life and later on you made a genuine commitment to Christ. You placed your faith in Christ for salvation for, for the first time. And you meant it. You understood it. And there was real change. There was new birth. But you've never been baptized after faith in Christ Listen to me, you need to get baptized. You know, the number one reason that I, or one number one question that I get concerning baptism is always this. This is the question. Is baptism necessary for salvation? And you know what I found oftentimes what the, what the person is really asking? They're asking, is there a way for me to be a Christian but not tell anybody about it? And can I be honest with you this morning? That's the wrong question to be asking. Folks, in light of what Christ has done for you, and remember this, Jesus wasn't crucified in a private area with nobody watching. No, he was publicly humiliated on I-35 and 435 in public view for everybody to see. You know why he did it? For you. He publicly said on that day, I love you. And that kind of sacrificial love demands, not that I say, well, what can I do to believe in him? What can I get away with and still believe in him? No, rather the question that should be asked is, what must I do? I'm ready to do whatever it takes. You know what Christ says? Repent of your sins, believe in me, and be baptized. That's the model of scripture. So some of you, you're right here this morning, and you're wondering, do I need to be baptized? Let me just give clarification as best I can. Maybe you were baptized as an infant, but you had no real faith. You don't remember the moment. Maybe it meant a whole lot to your parents, but it meant nothing to you. You don't remember it, but later on, later on, there was some event in your life. God worked and moved, and God opened your eyes to the gospel, and you placed your faith in Christ, but you've never been baptized post-conversion. You need to be baptized. Maybe some of you are, are here and you were baptized as a child, but you know it had no real meaning at all. You can't even really remember it. And you know there was no real life change. You were just going through the motions, maybe doing what was expected of you. But you too, later on, something happened. 
And God humbled you and you saw your sin and you saw Christ and you trusted in him. But you've never been baptized post-conversion. You need to be baptized. Some of you were sprinkled. Listen, baptism does not demonstrate a gospel of cleansing. It demonstrates a gospel by which we die through faith and we're raised to walk in newness of life. And some of you, listen, you're here and deep down in your heart you know you've never trusted in Christ at all. You've never come to a moment where you understood the depth of your sin and really fully understood what Christ did on the cross for you. Today, I pray with all my heart you would see the depth of your sin and you'd see the glory of Christ and you would trust in him. You would repent of your sin and turn towards Christ and you'd be born again by the Spirit of God. And you know what I pray you would do? I pray you'd be baptized. Listen, you you know what we're going to do this morning? We're going to give you the opportunity to be baptized today. We're going to give you the opportunity. I believe when God is moving in a person's heart, if he's calling them to obedience, we don't want to do anything that would hinder them from obeying Christ right then. As I like to say, delayed obedience is disobedience. So we don't want to put any hindrance. We're going to give you an opportunity to be baptized right now this morning. You can make this right today. No excuses. Some of you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, I know I need to be baptized, but I'm not sure. You're thinking in your heart, well, I want my family to see it. And they're not here. And so, boy, I'd rather do Listen, we're recording the service. (laughs) We'll have a copy. You can send them a link. They'll get to see it. It'll be so awesome. Don't you dare let that be an excuse to you this morning. To put off obedience to what Christ is calling you to do. Some of you are saying, and you say, well, I'm not sure I want to join the church. This is not about joining a church. We're not going to talk to you about joining the church this morning. This is about you being obedient to Christ. You following in obedience to his word and you getting it right in your life. Others of you, it's not an understanding problem. It's a practical. You're thinking, practically speaking, I don't have the stuff. Listen, we have everything you need. This ain't our first rodeo. We, we have thought this through. Our team of volunteers that are back there right now, they have pre-prepared. They have every supply that you could possibly need. There is no excuse. Some of you are saying, I don't want to draw attention to myself. Listen, Christ himself was baptized. It's not even about you. It's about glorifying your Savior and demonstrating the gospel. And you know what? God will use your testimony today. We don't want to put anything in front of you that would hinder you from right now being obedient to what Christ has called you to do. Boy, it's a different Sunday, but do we have a hymn? Oh, we got one. Maybe some of you know this one. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. There is nothing better than being able to go home this evening and lay your head on the pillow knowing that as best you can, you have been obedient to your Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So right now, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, in this time of response, I pray that you would move in the hearts of some folks to be baptized today. I pray that there's some folks today that come forward and say, I need to trust in Jesus. Your word says whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. I pray this morning that some would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear son. Lord, I'm pleading with you to move in the hearts of those who are listening today online. Maybe they need to get in their car and come to church. If they live within driving distance, they can make it to the second service and they can be baptized this morning. God, some are in the venue service right now. They're listening to this and they know they need to make this right. God, move them to obedience. Some are at Reach Church DeSoto this morning. Maybe this morning, providentially, they're in that place because you love them and you're drawing them to yourself. God, I pray that they would walk forward, they would greet Pastor Ryan, and this morning they get baptized. Lord, move. Holy Spirit, we're pleading with you. Move. We can't change anybody. We can't, we can't save anybody. You must work, Holy Spirit. Convict and move. And do it in such a fashion this morning that only Christ would receive the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.